0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F. Lock the (laughs) gates! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Maron. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. How's it going? Edward Norton. Edward Norton is on the show today. I talked to Edward Norton. He's got a new, uh, new, new movie coming out. He's got Mother Was Brooklyn, comes out uh, Friday, November first. So it was good to talk to him. Intense guy. How how is everybody? Uh, you okay? I just drove in from San Francisco. I made the drive. I drove up on Friday, thinking that I would uh, have a meditative, nice drive. Maybe go up the coast maybe stop for lunch in Big Sur, maybe take it in, go back in my mind to the times where I thought that that beautiful Northern California coast was the answer to all the problems, was the poetic beauty, maybe stop at Esalen and do some time travel, maybe an encounter group or a flotation tank of some kind. But did I do that? I did not. I did not do any of that. I took the five straight up, and I took the five straight down. The five, the world's most heinous drive. It makes five hours seem like nine. The coast would have taken too long, and I was just worried. I didn't know if anything was on fire, or the road would be blocked up. I just took the straight shot, but I had big plans nonetheless. There's something about that city, and I did have some. Uh, I did say I had some ghosts to uh, to reckon with, and I think I did. I think I did, folks. Before I get into that stuff, there's a couple of things. The WTF merch store is fully loaded with new items, including stuff people have asked us for for, forever, actually. We've got new shirts with the sweet-ass draplin design and metallic ink, WTF hoodies, a ringer tee, a ladies muscle tee, tumblers, water bottles, travel mugs, keychains, and hats. Start your holiday shopping early. Go to PodSwag slash WTF or click on merch at WTFPod.com. Uh, as we head into this week, I, I did want to help. Uh, well, not help, but I wanted to bring attention to a couple of my pals. A couple of my pals are doing shit, if I could. Chris Garcia, who's open for me a few times. He's been on the show uh, before. He's a very funny guy. And a lot of his act, if you've seen him or heard him on NPR, a lot of his act revolved around his his father's uh, battle with Alzheimer's, his dad, Andre. Uh, and it, it was a lot of what Chris was sort of involved with in dealing with his father and, and sort of, uh, the humor that could be found in that, it, you know, without making fun of his father, obviously, but for the past two years, he's just been pouring his heart and, and soul into, uh, recording this podcast called scattered. And it's really about his father and his father's past, you know, uh, coming up through, you know, moving from Cuba, you know, being in a labor camp in Cuba, you know, transitioning to the States and stuff that haunted his old man that, and, you know, interspersed with his, uh, with Chris's relationship with him through his disease. But, you know, it's it's quite a, a work, a, it's a passion project and it's, it's deep and it's funny and it's moving uh, and it's uh, produced by WMIC and you can get it. I imagine where you can get everywhere you can get podcasts. It's called Scattered. And that's my buddy Chris Garcia. Now, my other buddy, Dean Delray, who you know, he's just had his 500th episode and he got Paul Stanley on there. Paul Stanley, the uh, guitarist and lead singer of Kiss, and Dean's very excited. So there's a couple of podcast wrecks recommending, not paid plugs, just friends. Uh, Chris Garcia's scattered podcast and uh, Dean Delray's 500th with Paul Stanley. But uh, back to the trip to San Francisco. So so I get up there. Now, I don't know how many. I lived there for a few years, a couple years. I talked to you about it before I went up there. I had all those posters. I, you know, that's the primary reason I drove up to schlep the posters. And I got to Square. So I sat there, like me and Luke Schwartz, who did a great job opening for me, and some people who work at the theater, at the venue. I'm just sitting there s- kind of sticking the credit cards into the machine, doing the numbers, Uh, you know, I just haven't done that a while, but I had a very long line of people and we came up literally out of the 98 posters. I brought just five posters short. You know, there's a couple hundred people were waiting online uh, to meet me and take pictures and buy the posters, but we moved all of them and I cut a deal with those last five people. I don't need to tell you what it is. I don't want anyone to get jealous, but uh, I worked something out with them because they were waiting around for like a fucking hour and I worked some out. It was great meeting all the people. It was a great show in San Francisco. The Masonic was sweet. Uh, it wasn't scary to me. This is the second Masonic auditorium uh that I've worked at. And again, I believe um I transcended, you know, usually I think there is a Masonic ritual that they need to that needs to happen in the Masonic space at some time during the space's uh history, which I fulfilled the last time I was there. I came in second in the Boston comedy uh, competition, thus, you know, sort of inadvertently um, playing out the failing of the Jew ceremony, which is a Masonic uh, secret Masonic rite uh, ritual uh, that was in the book. It used to be something they would, you know, kind of, uh, they they would bring a Jew in, but they can't do that now, and they just hope it happens coincidentally. So I, I actually served that purpose back in 93. So the failing of the Jew Ritual was done and the space was uh, thus sort of initiated. Now, I needed to transcend that. And I had the order wrong of who won and who lost uh, with that 93 competition. Carlos Alzaraki was first. I was second. Stephen B. was third. Rick Kearns was fourth. Patton Oswalt was fifth. So I went in there knowing that I had to transcend. I had to transcend a few things. That city has always been kind of a haunting mind fuck for me, but not in the same way that Boston was, just more of a in, in a different way, man, in a loopier way. But uh, I went in there to the Masonic, fearless. Kicked. What if we what if we all talked like our president? Wouldn't that be unbearable? I'm not going to begrudge him. Well, yeah, I, I will. Yeah, I'm glad that the U.S. military uh, did their job and, uh, you know, over a period of time was able to track down and kill uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the, uh, one of the leaders of ISIS, one of the leaders of the caliphate. They got in there and I imagine... I, I'm glad they were still there because a couple of weeks ago, this president wanted to, wasn't he taking all the troops out of Syria? And I imagine that the Kurds probably did a lot of the groundwork for this attack. I'm, I, I guess we'll hear about that. Perhaps remember the Kurds who we abandoned because of this president? Well, I guess he lucked out this time on the timing. And it's good. I'm glad that guy's dead. but. The way that President Trump takes credit, I the, the fact that people still enjoy or, or look up to him or look to him, you know, for leadership. What if everyone talked like him? How can people not see, you, you know, how annoying and embarrassing and fucking horrifically insecure this fucker is? I just don't get it. Uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and talk about my set in San Francisco. Uh, like our president because we should be able to look up to the president and and model ourselves after that after him and i hope that a lot of americans are doing that and hope their children are doing that so i'm going to do that now so i performed in san francisco i had probably the best set uh ever not just for me but i think uh for any comic that has ever performed anywhere i think it was really the best set you know and i am really the the best comic that ever lived and, uh, you know, and I'm not I'm not even making this up. I And this is just the truth that uh, it was probably the best set of comedy ever performed anywhere, ever. Uh, there's been many sets before. There's been plenty of very funny people. Richard Pryor, uh, you know, Bill Hicks, all these people. But, you know, there, there's no one doing it as good as me at this point in time. How fucking annoying is that? What if people you knew in real life talk like that? Jesus. So but to you know, to be honest with you, I did have the best set of comedy ever um, in San Francisco. I just want to put that out there. It was uh, perfect. It was a perfect set. <laughs> it was good. It was good. And all the people were great. And uh, I was happy to see everybody. All right. Did I mention Ed- Edward Norton is here? Did I mention it? So I drove back down from San Francisco on Sunday, yesterday. And man, man it was just like there was smoke and dust hanging over all of it just driving through that cow stinky part just that flat 5 and I don't know what came over me and that's it sort of like I, I had another fuck it but you have to man I had to do it I was driving down from San Francisco and I I went to In-N-Out Burger had a double double and fries you know it's like I posted a picture of it on Instagram because I do that sometimes. And people are like, fuck, it's not that good. It's like, and those fries suck. It's like, it's not, I didn't say it was gourmet. It's in and out. It's always the same. It fucking nails it. It was good. And I felt bad about it, but it was good. And if you eat the fries fast enough, they're good. And now I like to squirt my own ketchup. And so I did that. That was pretty exciting. And then for some reason, I stopped at McDonald's and got a McDonald's coffee. And this, this all happened today because I'm recording this on Sunday. And right now I'm, I'm fucking... Kind of kind of whacked out of my brain on fast food um, products. Yes. Yes, I am. All right. Look, let's get into this then. It's all right. I'm okay. You okay? Are we all right? Perfect. Everybody okay? Edward Norton came by and we talked about his, uh, a lot of things actually, but he's got this new movie, Motherless Brooklyn, which comes out uh, this Friday, November 1st. And, uh, you know, we did it. You know, I, I was excited to meet him. He sat down and we just started going. you get your podcasts Do you hear me? I hear you. Oh, there you go. Do you hear you now? You hear my
1: my I hear my gravelly Do <laughs> you do my, not my gravelly affectation? I have had Nick Nolte in here. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: Mark. I have a
1: feeling that maybe it's impossible for you to understand what I'm saying. Exactly. It has gone it has gone <laughs> it has gone beyond self parody and into actual like uh, space. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, outer space, man. It's like Did you work with him? I did. On which movie? I worked with him on a movie that then he busted his knee on and I uh, had to drop out of. Oh really? And so we got a much more um, we got a much more rational and sane actor in John Voight. <laughs> <laughs> what movie was this? It's a it's a, a New York cop film called Pride and Glory.
0: When you work with those guys, though, don't like do you see yourself as part of some sort of film tradition? I mean, when you work with Nolte, does it
1: affect you? Do you are you like that's Nick Nolte, or do you not register it? It's funny you said that because I. I used to have this conversation with Phil Hoffman, who was yeah. my friend. We we came up in New York together, yeah. you know, starting theater companies, and yeah, and and he. I remember one time saying to him, like, "Do you get the sensation that we're just really square compared to these guys? <laughs> that these guys that we're like, kind of like just theater nerds, right? Who kind of came up and got an affect of being cool in one way or another, right? But." The truth is these guys are just authentically weird as shit. Yeah. And and in a way that we're just not. And he said, I it feels like I, I think about that all the time. Really? Because we had both done things with De Niro. Yeah. And we had both done things with like Harvey Keitel. Right. And, you know, <laughs> and I think Bob and Al Pacino yeah, right. and Robert Duvall. <laughs> right. And Nick and just these, these yeah. pe- a lot of them, they either really took too many drugs and there's like a residual effect or joking aside, I kind of, I do have this thesis that like the first generation of of American film actors post Brando. I think that it's very hard for people today. What happens with people like Brando is that it gets reduced into a really small narrative right. and, and people end up, they end up losing an authentic sense of what the scale of the impact of something was yeah. in the context of that moment, right? And I think that if you talk to anyone who was young when he hit the screen, yeah, it wasn't like a new cool star. It was such a seismic. It was a before and after moment for American like film in acting car, right? And, yeah, and yeah. for youth, yeah. for young men, right. it was like. That is it, that is the Godhead, that is what we aspire, The wild to. one, yeah, but yeah. also also, the thing is again, it gets people like Brando in the tank top and Stanley Kowalski. right, yeah, yeah yeah but but, but Brando had this incredible, he had such a feminine within his masculinity, he looks like a Roman, he was so things, yeah. but he has this kind of weird marble mouthed sensitivity, same with Montgomery Cliff, too a little right, a little bit, yeah. I don't, for me, Montgomery Clifton, James Dean, and these were like Nicolanti yep. brandos. Right. I, I really don't think they were right. like anywhere the depth, in the class right. of the kind yeah. of um, deeply strange poetic instincts right. sure. that he had. Yeah. But I think that if you talk to like Nicholson, yeah. De Niro, um, Meryl Streep, and the people who came in the next wave, especially the men, yeah. it was all about him. He He was like this enormous gravitational thing. And all these people who had never seen themselves as as, even aspiring to be within that, all these people went out of non-traditional kind of pathways into this new idea of a a naturalistic, you know, method, the method, these things. And I think like the greatest generation of American film actors came to it because of Brando. And it happened right at that moment of the counterculture and so you got like, Jack and Pacino and, yeah. and Morgan Freeman and Robert yeah. Duvall and on and on and on and on. Yeah. But I think they were a very different sort of people than the people who kind of get into theater in high school and come up, you know, come up. <laughs> to, to bring it back around. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. Like yeah, I think, yeah. um, and so I, I always. But they were all like that. I mean
0: like Brando too, you don't get a sense that that, that culture even existed. I mean like you're, you're a little younger than me but, like, the idea that, you know, you did high school theater and then you kind of pursue theater in New York and you do whatever, that whole thing is post-Brando. that A little bit. That, a li- there's a romance?
1: Well, yeah, a little bit. I mean, don't forget, like, his mother was an actress and his sister was, too. In Nebraska? Yeah, and he kind yeah. of followed them. He followed them to New York kind of for the teenage bohemian dream of, of just of being an artist. Really. Right. He didn't know what right. the hell he right. wanted to right. do. He told me once that he was he was never happier than... When he was selling lemonade in in Washington Square Park, he told you that. Yeah, he worked. He worked. You know, he played bongos with his friends. He, I think, what happened to him had in a way it was a kind of a tragedy for for him in some dimensions because he he was a person who like deeply, deeply loved his anonymity. Yeah, and 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 the experience of being able to be a kind of a wandering bohemian, yeah, and all that evaporated by the time he was twenty five years old. Gone, gone. Like and 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 he and he had a deep such a deep conflict about that, that he was, it it created a negative love-hate relationship with the work itself. I
0: mean, it feels like you kind of must have experienced a bit of that too. You sort of felt that going in, you know, coming up as quickly as you did, that this would, you know, rip you apart publicly or that you would be denied a public life if you weren't careful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, but, you know, in a funny way, by the time we all got into those experiences... Honestly, I think there was more wisdom about it. I think there were more people right. there were more people to convey to you be careful. Yeah, a- yeah, and aspects of it and to be totally honest like there were pole stars to look to that they didn't have back then. Like I think one of the other figures Dylan like Brando there's yeah. there really is before Dylan and after Dylan. There wasn't there wasn't that kind of Zeitgeist voice right. of a generation yeah. before him. Yeah. But every I'd go back and watch Scorsese's doc you know, the No Direction Home one. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every couple of years just because it's so it's so amazing and inspiring to me to see a guy at 20, 21 years old facing this, like, wall of reporters putting all this shit on him. You're the voice of your generation. Yeah. And he's just going, that's nothing I can relate to, man. You know, and they're saying, what does it mean? <laughs> Unpack it for us. And he goes, I, I wrote it. I don't know what it means. What do you think it means? But for 20, really stop and think about The experience that we've all gone through and that's only intensified in kind of the modern world of social media and podcasts and everything. Quick bait. Yeah, Well, but the expectation is that things can only be enhanced by talking more about them today. And there's this kid, he's 20 years old, 21 years old, Mm. with the world-throwing adulation at him, and he has the sense, the density at that age... To not just be skeptical, to know that if I let you inside it, you will ruin it. I will be ruined, and everything I'm trying to do gets destroyed by answering your fucking question. And that's an that, it's incredible. It actually every time I watch it, it it actually kind of amazes and he, and, and moves me because when you look at like. John Lennon later, right, right, going bonkers in the Shea Stadium concert and just playing the keyboard with his elbows because no, he knows no one can hear. Right. And just saying, we're never playing live again. Like, okay. like yeah. it, 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 even them, it took them a while to realize, like, this is going to ruin our lives. And they, by the way, they break up the Beatles over it. They're like, we, we want to have lives. We want to. You know, but
0: Dylan sort of maintains that disposition today.
1: He maintains
0: a sort of mystery, a mystique around how
1: he engages with the press and with the public. Absolutely. And I love that he's eternally said, I'll talk about the musicians I love. I'll talk about anything, but I'm not going to unpack what I'm doing. However, I do think what's incredible about... That doc, and if you look at the new one... Did you like that
0: moment in the new doc where he gets off stage? The offstage? Rolling Thunder yeah. one? Oh, it's incredible. He, per- he performs at the first show, and the guy with the camera goes, how do you feel? And he turns around and goes, about what?
1: <laughs> uh, he, no, it's, the, it's, it's just the best. And, and he, but then what I think is amazing in these things Scorsese's made about him are that somehow he has gotten him now as a man in his 70s Yeah to say, if you really watch it, he he says in the first one, he goes, look, I was looking at what was going on around me and I was interested in Woody Guthrie's idiom and I took it and ran it through that, but I wasn't going to talk about that. Right. You know, He literally says, yeah, right. yeah I constructed it. Sure. Yeah, it was yeah. conscious. Yeah, yeah, it was a character. But I'm not going to break it down For them. at the time. Yeah, yeah. And what I love about that is he does it a little in the Rolling Thunder thing too. Yep. He says... Hey, man, we've been singing. He basically says we were singing all this Kumbaya shit, but we had Vietnam and Watergate. And it was like, we better notch this shit up. Right. You know, we better play. And that that one bit in that film where he's playing hard rain, Oof. like Tom York and I were talking about it when we were working on the music of this film. And yeah. I didn't even really ever make Tom for a Bob Dylan fan per right. se. I didn't really know they wasn't. But he literally said that's the mo- one of the most punk rock things I've ever seen, playing, <laughs> yeah. taking those... You know, those folk songs and basically going, no, man, like this isn't working. Make a menace. We got to be, what's going on? Yeah. It's incredible. There are so few. And I think Scorsese has really caught something, which is that this guy, he always was focused on what do I need to do that keeps me on edge about the whole thing and feeling like I'm out there. On the bright white line, actually doing something, no matter what anybody says, no matter whether they get it now, you know, he was such a like. I'm going over here. Once you get comfortable with what I'm doing, I'm going over here, and you're gonna scream and yell and go, "Don't plug in! Yeah. Don't play electric!" Yeah. But you know, if go you fuck don't yourself. go, fuck yourself, and if you don't come, <laughs> if you don't come now, you're gonna come later. You'll be and here. You'll be. You'll here. get it later. Yeah. But the confidence, as a very young person, to basically go. If you get this later, if you get it now, I really don't. That's not what I'm here for. Right. I'm here to do it. It's why he's authentically worthy of like the mystique.
0: Did you take this in this assessment you have as a younger person, or is this something you're looking at over life? It came. It came. I mean, I. I, I, Were these were these lessons for you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I thought. I mean, but there were people. There's other people that were have an affect on you who you realize are. Either by design or because they're wisely reticent about ruining the very bubble of like illusion they're creating by going out there and blathering. Oh no, I had in to. the wrong way. About I had John
0: C. Riley in here or the other garage. You know, he agreed to do it and he sat down and he goes, "I don't want to talk about myself. I don't want to ruin my mystique." <laughs> <laughs> and and thank God we you know he saw a clown painting in my house cuz we talked about clowns for 20 minutes but eventually he started talking about it. No, I tell you something I yeah.
1: I think but but let's be clear like <laughs> yeah. like Dylan did a uh, a radio show you know right. which yeah, is yeah. a great he DJ-ed. It's, one of, it's one of the great musicology sure. yeah. things you know and all those riffs like we're going to talk about coffee Joe yeah. Mountain yeah. Black you know, yeah, uh, you yeah. know all that sure. stuff and you go it's kind of like His biography, which is one of the weirdest, you know. I love it. It's incredible. But he doesn't ruin anything because what he does is go, hey, there's a lot we can connect through. There's a lot we can riff about and find common ground in, and there's a lot that I want to share, Yeah, right? But think about how much value that has to have. Because of what you love about his own work, he goes, hey, you don't want want to know about my marriage. You don't want to know about this shit. Let's talk about great songs about mothers. You know what I mean? And you go, you go, just...
0: He's also he's sort of this weird, almost vaudevillian curator of things, too. Like he has this new persona of the guy that's just going to die on the road, you know, in his Western jacket is really kind of impressive in a weird way. He's just going to he doesn't have to do it and he needs to do it.
1: Yeah, I. I, (laughs) It's a ghost
0: on the highway, man.
1: I I respect the yin yang to that is people who are not afraid and there are very few to go hey you know what i've done this gig i've done my thing yeah i'm not tapped into the main vein right. of what people are needing right now and also i i just want to be a human being i want to go back to quiet life or whatever it is i want i'll make furniture i want to like you 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 respect them i a lot i think i well <laughs> yeah. i i think it's very i think the it's dignified in a way well the you know like what Tennessee Williams, the bitch goddess of success, is yeah. very, very hard for people to say. Do I want to die having done the same, a version of the same thing over and over? Now, some people are real, like trade craft, like right. the, the, like Dylan is, and maybe he does like want to die on the road. And that, as a thing, I I wrestle, I do relate to the uh, the kind of restorative sensation of just not doing. These oh, things. Well,
0: I I respect like when I hear somebody that I know or somebody like uh, who is in comedy or whatever in show business, and I haven't seen him in a while, and they've gotten out somehow, I I'm like congratulations. Yeah. God damn it, good for you. I talked to Bruce Stern, dude, in there. He was sitting right there too. I don't know what that means to you. Bruce.
1: Yeah. I worked with Bruce. <laughs> he's great. Yeah. He's he's a, completely out of his mind and absolutely out of his mind.
0: Like, but great memory out though. Great memory, but out of his mind. Remembers everything but I challenge that oh, really? uh,
1: I think he remember I think my experience with Bruce was that he remembered <laughs> with vivid detail an extremely narrow yeah. set of experiences and that actually there was enormous blank space from decades of, oh really uh, yeah I mean, I, Dennis Hopper one time he told me once that he didn't remember uh, large portions of the 20 years from 65 to 85 like he didn't he didn't literally have any memory of of Things get lost, even yeah. if you don't do drugs.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, haven't you lost some things? Uh, I don't.
1: I don't have that sensation yet.
0: Oh, no, but it's speaking coming, to right? your point, Nic- uh, Duren said about Nicholson that you know he just he's basically retired because his reasoning is he doesn't want to do anything if it's not as good or better than what he's done before. Mm-hmm. That's reasonable. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean. I know it's a weird reference, but I I was really struck by this thing I heard the Dalai Lama say that he he's good went, at that striking well, thing yeah he is he's funny too <laughs> yeah. but but I but I saw something where someone said selfishly what do you what do you still hope for yourself yeah. in the remainder of your life and yeah. he said he said I hope I have the courage to actually crawl into a cave and be a monk again and lick my wounds for a period before I die. And I was like, that's incredible for him. No, for someone to say, I need time to go back to being like me. Humble. Or just um, alone and actually with myself and yeah. not not have the burden of this, this thing that I am to other people.
0: Well, how are you with that, with being with yourself? Are you mm-hmm. any good at it?
1: Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah? I, the longer I do it, the better I feel. The the more the other voices slip away, and the dopamine hit that like comes from some sort of bullshit work. affirmation. Yeah, no, right. no, the, the affirmations of the work. Yeah, the the work is always fun. I always find the work great. Everything else that comes around it, um, messes with your head, and you got to really, really work at keeping your head and eye like fixated on the target that had substance. Who you when, are, too, right? Well, or even for the work. Like, yeah. you go, why did we do this? Why did I go at this? Yeah. And whatever we're doing, can we retain the focus on the path to achieving what we were trying to achieve with it in terms of what it does for people watching it? Not what anybody says about it, not what gets conferred on it in the short term, not any of these other, yeah. this matrix of. Agendas that noise and publicity. Yeah, yeah, and you can't be immune to it. You can be the toughest sort of, you know. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I don't believe that anybody's automatically immune to, like the just the constant chorus of voices trying to get you to pay attention. Oh my god! To it's, it's worse now. Yeah. To how things are performing outside. The, the direct conversation you're trying to have through what you did with people, right? right. And, yeah. and I think like I, I have to think a lot about clinically if I look and go, well, here's things I did that there's no question we hit the target of what we were going for, yeah. for our tribe, for our people, the people our age, our friends, our experience things, it connected. Yeah. Actually, many of them failed on many of the other metrics that other people... What are we talking about specifically? Well, like if you, look like, like if you take a movie like Fight Club, or, yeah. or, which I would say, looking back yeah. and where it sits, yeah. it, it went right on through to the people we made it for. Yeah. And it says what we wanted it to say. Great movie. And it was about the things we wanted it to be about. But it was a huge flop initially at the box office. Very, very big. Did you like the movie? I, I loved it. I was overwhelmed by it. Yeah. I, I I love the experience of doing it yeah. as profoundly as anything I've worked on. Yeah, and I've been lucky and and had some really good experiences. But I also I remember going to something with Brad and the gang, and I rem- I remember him giving me this funny look and going. He said he said, "How do you think this is going to go?" And I said, "I think it's going to go very badly." And he said, I do too, let's get high. And he um <laughs> and he had a joint, which yeah. he always did then. Yeah. And and I remember we went to this thing at some film festival and, and people booed it. It got booed and um that's amazing. And uh and people some people walked out and we we sat in the back and we watched it and there was all this negative feeling in the yeah. room. And in the and he turned to me in the dark and he goes that's the best movie I'm ever gonna be in and I said I think so too like and we we were hugging each other kind of like weepy we were so we were really was it happy. the first time you saw it
0: uh, in an audience it was yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. and it was kind of like straight out of the movie itself it was like we're failing we're we're not men we're like we're like all the we're, all the wrong things are happening and we were kind of like um, but yeah enjoying it connected moment but I think but I think that many 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 of the things all of us would. Point to as things that have mattered to us. Yeah, I saw something once of all the critics who panned Raging Bull, and then ten years oh. later put it on their Best of the Eighties. I saw that too. List. Yeah, and you just want to like, Fuck you. Guys. just want to put your middle finger up yeah. and just yeah. go like, you. you know.
0: Well, like, and you let's go back though. Like when you're sitting there with the uh, with Philip back in the day, I mean, what were your goals? You know, I mean, wh- how did you come to New York? You know, to start to do this, and and you know, like you're like because he's. He was another, you know, sensitive, amazing artist that sort of buckled under the weight of something. But what were you guys, you know, what were your dreams at that time? Just to do theater? I mean, what were you really thinking I don't, about?
1: I mean, yeah, I think a lot. I think um, if you went to New York in that period, I think there was there was still an allure of what years are we talking? This like is like the early nineties. Where'd you come from? You were, you went to Yale. I went to college, year? yeah, and uh, I used to go down to New York all the time. From New Haven, see see plays. See but you games. were it was undergrad at Yale, Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. studied history and yeah, Asian studies. And Did you I, have a plan? I, no, I, I had a dim, unconfident sensation that I wanted to go to New York for the theater. Yeah, but I I had a hard time just sort of owning that, embracing it, and I kind of went there with sort of a, a generalized sense of I just want to be in New York. You know, I want to be in New York. Was your family into it? My family is great. My parents were real lovers of the arts in general. Yeah. They weren't artists in any way. They they're aficionados of everything. Oh yeah. Loved music, loved theater, loved movies. Oh, yeah? And so So the household was filled with that kind of stuff? Yeah. Oh that's nice. Yeah. And one of my uncles is a great musician, one's a painter. And my mother taught Shakespeare and Oh, okay. You know, went took us to plays and my father was a opera buff and a oh, really? theater buff and Where'd you grow up? Near Baltimore. So, in, so in Col- all this stuff Columbia, in D.C., in so you had all the free museums and you had the opera. We had a and lot, and- yeah, it, it was, um, ba- Baltimore had a... Were you close to D.C.? We were close to D.C. too, yeah. It was easy to go right, right around. So it, we had like, you know, Center Stage was a great regional theater in Baltimore. Right. But then D.C. had obviously like the National Theater and things like yeah. that. But it also had like, there was the 930 Club in D.C. was the great, because in, in that era, you know, Baltimore really only had like metal it didn't have like a like an alt music scene. Right. It was like it was like yeah. you, you you were either into like Springsteen. Right. Yeah. Or or, or you were like eighties. Okay. Yeah. Or, or, uh, but but then there was this like mid Atlantic um alt rock station called WHFS that yeah. was incredible. And that had all the Brit pop, the clash. Yeah. D C had and, a pretty big pretty good punk scene, Fugazi. Yeah, Fugazi and, and yeah. Minor Threat. Yeah. And that was and I had an older cousin who played me R. E. M. and things. So I I was affected by that. Um, it's funny, Spike Jones and I realized that I used to go sh- shop for BMX parts at the Spike store that he worked at when he was like 14. In D.C.? N- in Rockville. or oh, really? Yeah, in that area. Um, so you think you crossed paths? We, I li- when he said that, he said, you know I used to work at like this thing, and I, <laughs> it melted my mind. I, I had this <laughs> sensation of like, could I have bought my Shimano cranks from Spike? Well, you know, when we were both like... <laughs> Kids? Like four, thirteen, fourteen. That's yeah, crazy. Well, um, it's
0: weird because like you, you, know, you, you don't seem like uh, that. You would have fallen into the angrier zone
1: of that world.
0: No, he seems pretty sweet too.
1: No, for, yeah, know. Spike's the sweetest. I, I, I think I just felt alienated, and um, I mean, who, who does? You know, I don't trust people who don't feel alienated in high school. Yeah, like Springsteen had a big effect on me, even though that wasn't like the hip thing. I, yeah. People forget though, like if you were from that East Coast corridor, yeah. the narrative of yeah. of getting out, just like the narrative of getting out. And I, I talked to him about this once. Darkness on the Edge of Town was such a cinematic that record really like filled my head with Great record. Yeah. Uh, even more than I mean, Born to Run is incredible. Yeah. It has really evocative. Yeah, but Darkness long, is yeah, But Darkness on so the Edge of Town is like a noir movie. It yeah, really is. Sure, it has yeah. really it's like film scenes. You, yeah. You yeah. really feel it's like film scenes of yeah. people You talk to him about it? Sh- yeah, yeah. We we did a um when the when it was the thirtieth re release yeah. of that I, the I, album. I, I got to do I did this, I interviewed him about like darkness and noir yeah. and Oh wow. Those yeah, kinds I talked things. to him uh, at his place, you know, for just the general show. Yeah.
0: It's a heavy chat, man. I mean, you know, like when you're around Bruce and I'm I wasn't a Bruce fanatic, but yeah, I respect the guy and I love the
1: records. Yeah. But when you're around him you're like, this is this is weighty, man. That that book. <laughs> like, I mean, I think right? that, I think his book is Great. one of the greatest books ever written yeah. by an artist about him, his own life. I think it's
0: what was surprising to me about it was how hard on himself he is. I mean, Jesus.
1: Yeah. And I, are you I, like that? No, not like that. No, I, I think he 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 dealt with this all in that Broadway show, which yeah. was also one of Sounds one of the nice. best yeah. things I I ever saw. I, I think. It, it's very. I think it's very rare for someone of his stature to to have the instinct and the the capacity to dig that deep into what his own metamorphosis was from pain and poverty and where it comes fear. from. Yeah, and yeah. and and to unpack it in a way that has value for other people, yeah, and so that they can continue to see themselves in him. Now that even though he's Right, you know. he's
0: wise, and he's older, and he's coming to terms with his own demons, and because of his stature, he's sharing that, and it strengthens people and makes people feel less alone who are similar to him, and never assume That's that right. they were like that.
1: And and by the way, he says it. He says at the beginning, yeah. I've been working this kind of illusion, this sleight of hand thing, and we and we've been doing this together for a while. I've been doing this so that we could feel these things together, yeah. but now- we, I got to deal with my ghosts, and we're all hitting the aid. You know, it's like yeah, he, it's yeah, like he yeah. just keeps yeah, he keeps taking you into, right. like... Uh,
0: well, well, that's the amazing thing about him, Into though. a new level. Right. Right, right. When I talk to him, though, and I'm sure you notice this as well, is that his public persona is is pretty smooth. Yeah. Like, you know, it's real kind of, hey, man, I'm just, you know... yeah You know, and he's got this thing... But, and it seems real earnest and real genuine, but just right around the corner from that, it's like, Burr. you know, like, it's like dark, it's heavy. And it's like, how you know, how are you going to get into that? And I got him at a good moment because I think that's ultimately what he started to share was, you know, that balance that he has to ride between that. I don't think that his public persona is disingenuous, but it's what got him
1: through. I, I agree. I I think I think that his conviction that doing the work and finding the themes yeah. is saving his life as much as right. it's saving everyone else's life. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the only way you can play stuff you wrote when you were 25, 40 years later, yeah. with the kind of conviction, yeah. an actual, right. like almost spiritual, religious conviction. Right. I think he honestly feels It saved my life. It continues to save my life. Yeah. And I'm in it with you, therefore. Right. And that's why people have a thing with him, which, again, it's like it's a different. It's the only place he feels comfortable
0: is on stage. He said it to me. Like, it's the only place where he can trust
1: and feel okay, and, you know, not feel afraid. You know, I think from people like him. I've never met Dylan. I'm not sure I would yeah. ever want to meet Dylan. I, I knew <laughs> I knew David Bowie a bit. Um, yeah, we lived around the corner from each other, in... where New York in New York. And yeah. I, got, I used to have coffee with him sometimes, yeah. and he was incredibly valuable in a different way, but also because he would sit with you like this, and he would look at you like you know David Jones. Yeah, and just be like, hey, yeah, like like he would talk to you as the guy just like us. Yeah. that does the work. Right. Builds the thing, yeah. puts it out there, and retreats back into a very healthy right. place on the whole. You yeah. know, he was very, very great, I think, at saying, you know, not everybody has to live in the thing. Right. It doesn't have to be a thing you walk around in all right. the time. Right. I didn't. Yeah. And you think about him, you're like, that's right. He didn't. He was like the king of the He was yeah. the guy. Shapeshifter. The, and, yeah, shapeshifter. Yeah absolutely the guy who was like, hey, I stand for the freaks and the weirdos and yeah. everyone outside. That's why people were right. crying on the floor when uh-huh. he died because people were like, that guy, uh, you know. He made it okay for the weirdos to be are us. cool. Yeah, right. the weirdos yeah, yeah. are cool. Like no one else. Yeah. But then, if, if you know me, he, he'd say, you build it and you can hang it on the hook and walk away from it and be yourself. Because sometimes, you know, you're like, you're, you're doing your thing. You are who you are. Yeah. And not every actor is gonna have an affect or a, you know, some do. Yeah. I think what I'm always kind of more and more, I don't know, weighing, meditating on trying to like not keep acting by remote. Uh, Don't pursue a path on remote control or on cruise control where you're like, well, I should do another movie. Right. You know what I mean? And working less may actually have a double value of Letting me be me more within a path that's interesting for completely other reasons, other endeavors, not public reasons, other parts of your brain, personal reasons, personal, or even just uh, doing other types of work that feel like the beginning. Sure, you know what I mean? Uh, That feel like a different set of muscles, and then you know, have the privilege if you're like, I'm pretty lit up about this, I can't get this out of my head. This is that thing that I need to do. I want to do, or yeah. I've or I've got something to say. Go back and do it, and it won't be less good because you haven't been, you know, oh, yeah, knocking not, out your one a year. Right, it'll right. it'll be better.
0: Well, I feel like I haven't seen you in a while.
1: Uh, good, you know. I mean,
0: uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, It was like I you're
1: you're, you're getting you you're like. Yeah, you're like sentimentally breaking out Death to Smoochie. You're like, I need a dose of him. Where's that Norton guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah like, Where has he been? Fuck, I haven't put. You know, I haven't put on Death to Smoochie yeah. in a while. <laughs> Is gonna, that the one? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Is that the I, one? Lo- I love Death to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, when people, what? it's a very telling thing when it's a real barometer <laughs> if a person comes up, and that's the first. I'm like, you're my. You're. I like. Wait, you. When people go, I yeah. loved you in Death to uh, Smoochie? Yeah, they're like,
0: hi. So you're in New York and you're doing that thing. You started a theater group too with
1: sort co- of yeah my my friend Jim Houghton uh created this thing called the Signature Theater Company that was a brilliant idea. He yeah. was kind of like everybody gets retrospectives except playwrights. What what if we just did a theater company that did the body of work of a playwright that was each of its seasons. Yeah. And he uh enlisted great playwrights really early on because nobody treated them that way. Right. Nobody said We're hey, hey Edward thing. Albee guess what we're going to do a whole thing, and and you curate what you feel didn't get understood or done right, and everything. And they flocked to, and I I got involved very early on, as an actor, yeah. And it was my like my first paying gig, but then it was it was such a singular and cool thing. I I sort of joined that company, and so you and got it, to work with Albie and and other people like that. Yeah, yeah, and we oh, Arthur Miller and Sam Shepard and Oh, really? Important foot. Yeah, they would yeah. come in and do it. Yeah, oh yeah, we did seasons with every great American playwright who's alive it's still and, and then later Jim and I many years later Jim and I built this huge performing arts center on 42nd Street that what's you know, it called Signature it's oh, a signature. Yeah? it's three three theaters Frank Gehry designed it and it's oh, uh, I, if I, I don't know if I've been there yeah, I'm sure you've been there oh. um, I great that. little intimate theater. is that where Annie Baker's play was yes, yes. Okay. she was our, one of our writers in residence yeah great uh, for three yeah. or five years I think years. I saw John there yeah right yeah absolutely uh huh that was there
0: oh that's great well I mean that must have been mind blowing I mean, it's like what a gift of like uh, coincidence and time to, to yeah. be involved with something like that to meet Sam Shepard and to work with them personally, or and, and Albie as well,
1: Horton yeah. Foot. I mean, Jesus! No, it, it, they um, many of the greats: uh, Maria Irene Fournez, Agent Kennedy. Um, Where'd who, did you get, study? Where'd I study? Yeah, um, I I did some drama stuff in in school, but I studied with a variety of people in New York. I trusted very few people. Yeah. I thought most people were. Most people, especially the ones attached to legacy name acting right. programs, without getting into it, they were like tail end of someone else's legacy. Try to hold on to a like sure. cult of personality. Right, they were creating dependency yeah. between themselves and actors. Not they weren't actually trying generally to keep, trying to empower actors to be professionals. Trying to cre- create keep the cult going. Yeah, and yeah. basically the constant you're not ready. Right. This guy Terry Schreiber was a truly he he was like a. Um, to me a great carpenter. He he would say, You need a lot of tools in your kit. You should know about this idea, you should of how to approach things, but that won't work in everything. You should know yeah. about this. And right. I thought that was the right thought because I remember thinking at the time actually early on I I did this film you know, my first one I did this film Primal Fear, but then I was doing this Woody Allen the second film I did was a Woody Allen film You're and dancing it was, around. And it was a musical. Yeah, I saw you so you was like, yeah, it's like, so all all your sense memory is gonna be really, like, a great help, you know, when you're <laughs> doing, like, dancing? a dance in Harry yeah. Winston. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> yeah. like, the notion... I still think that the notion that there's an idea about acting that's encompassing... Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Sure. It's, it's completely well, ridiculous.
0: What, what, now, to go from Primal Fear to the, the musical, I mean, was that, like, some... Like, when when Primal Fear breaks and, and it's exciting and big and, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, lit up about you and you get offered a musical, I mean... Were you like I'm just gonna try that? I, I think da- dancing would be. It fun. wasn't like that. I <laughs> I
1: made that. I made that before. Oh, before before Primal the Fear. first movie even came out. Oh, I, I made um, I made the People vs. Larry Flint before Primal it even, Fear came out. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. We were just finishing it up when it came out. So you did um, sort
0: of a rush of movies.
1: Yeah, 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 and, yeah, which was wonderful. It was an incredible time. I I uh, I still feel it was a very heady. But, by the way, not for the reasons that become complicated of people going, blah, 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 it's so great, but more because nobody's bothering you, nobody's saying these things, but you're working with Milos Forman. Right. You know, and who, to me, was one of the, like, probably in the pantheon of the top ten people in film that I would have fantasized about working with, and I'm getting to sit at his feet. Yeah. Like, and watch him... Do it. It affected me forever, and it, 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 and and it was unencumbered by bullshit. You know, and no mean? one knew you were. No one knew who you were. Uh huh. And he was having me go off and work on the script with him, and it was like, wow, he's validating me, and it's not in a. It, he's validating it's me. Collaborative. Saying, yeah. Saying let's let's work. Let's dig in. Let's do the thing. Oh, and, and that like, sort of set a standard. Huh? Yeah. What's be, what could be better?
0: And and you thought that like this is like because rare, rarely do people work like that.
1: Yeah. He 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 was. Um, He was very unique in the sense that uh, he had this baked in what I would call healthy perspective because, you know, he he lost his parents to the Gestapo um, when he was nine. Mm -hmm. You know, he survived. He lived the war out as an orphan and then comes of age under the communist, like, you know, Iron Curtain system, has to become an artist up and through that navigation yeah. yeah, and then... Gets trapped out by the Soviets, cracking down in Prague. Makes a movie in the U.S. It doesn't do well at all. And he, you know, he told me he considered suicide. He he said he thought, I can't go home. I have no career. I have nowhere to go. Yeah. And then he made Cuckoo's Nest, which, by the way, nobody wanted. To, but they made it independently. Yeah. And all the studios passed on it. Every single studio passed on it. And they spent months shepherding it around to critics. Michael Douglas. Yeah. And yeah. my and because of my, he said Michael Douglas said, "You go take a vacation. I got this." and Michael, you know, <laughs> muscled that move around to critics yeah. until there was such a weight behind it that yeah. they got this like low end deal from United Artists. But again, to me, here's a guy who's just like, "Hey, everything that's great feels half-baked." Yeah. Every I mean, I remember him saying to me like, "I was nervous. I was like, I don't what there's things about this I don't understand and the way he worked was so different from Things about life like the and relationship theater. with Flint, or you know, yeah, the, character. They're, they're, they're the script, the movie. Yeah. What was he going for? How is it? Things. It was the way he worked was so fluid uh-huh. and so un unstructured. He would crisscross cameras so that if anything happened, he got it. Yeah. He would let improvisation between actors go on and on and on. Do you like and to improvise? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I sometimes, where I was at the time, coming from theater, I, I found myself going, well we're supposed to be doing a given thing today and if if we don't see it happen as though a well-performed play yeah it can't possibly have been gotten and then he would sort of go no you know i got th- this little bit and that little bit and and i began to realize that he was he was just pulling clay out of a cliff right he wasn't even remotely attempting to sculpt Right, the thing he he was he had this meter for, and did that go against everything you believed? Every well, it was incredible. That's why <laughs> I want to talk about like yeah, you know when you like talk about learning yeah other things. His sense of the plasticity uh-huh. of film was amazing. He believed in casting and editing, yeah. and shooting was just filling up a gas can. Right, that he was going to assemble a machine around later. You right, know? yeah, and um, that was incredibly eye opening to me. And um yeah, you know, I think he had been his films had been nominated for like as many as anyone in history sure. or something like that. And he yeah. was he was like every single one that I've done felt like this is a very half-baked idea or we're we're way out on a limb, we're failing. Yeah. Everyone's telling us we're failing. Yeah. No one wants to see a movie about Mozart. No you know what I mean? These things. And when you get downloaded from people who have done the shit. That right. You're like, this is like the forever stuff. Yeah. And you realize that for them, it felt beyond risky, not on the rails. Right. It's a very important thing. To learn. To learn. Yeah. yeah. Because then you just, you're gonna get into the weeds. Yeah. On anything <laughs> right. you do that has ambition, you're gonna get into the weeds and the only way to not panic and in a way to actually lean in is to, to go, this is how these go. Yeah, like th- th- <laughs> this is this is how these go. Right. Like yeah. like the sensation. Yeah, this happens. The sensation of disaster. Right. is pretty intrinsic to many of the best things.
0: And do, I mean, I imagine you experience that on a few movies. I mean, I hear Fincher is like uh, really demanding and kind of hard to 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 work with in terms of takes and whatnot.
1: Yeah, yes, but that's the The thing that's the the thing that I. Find myself always wanting to like call bullshit on. Yes. like people people will say you you read reductive Edwards challenging. He challenges directors you're like Fincher's challenging. He's demanding. It's like yeah, but the idea that we don't like that is ridiculous. Like Who, that, actors, no, that we all oh, oh, that, oh. that this is even before clickbait. Clickbait makes it worse. But the manufacturing of antagonistic stories sure. is a load of shit. It's right. like it's like. Great things come out of people pushing each other hard. Yeah, and Fincher pushes everybody hard, and he's revered by everyone who works with him for it. You want to
0: hear something funny? He, I interviewed him, and we did like two and a half hours, and uh, he decided it wasn't complete, and he wants to do. It.
1: <laughs> but isn't he? But and all, and you say like, oh, he's a I hard couldn't ass. He's it. the funniest. No, no, I didn't
0: say he was a hard ass. He, I just hear he, he does a lot of takes. That's all. Yeah, I've absolutely. Heard. All no, I've and heard. he is a
1: hard ass, and he says kind of purposely yeah. extreme things yeah. to get a. La- but he's. He's the funniest yeah. motherfucker. I mean, he's so funny. And he's
0: got vision. I mean, you know, what are you going to do?
1: I had, to, I only had to watch two of that guy's movies and go, whatever he's doing right. to get that, I want to crawl inside yeah. and, and experience what it is. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult, and it doesn't mean that you won't say, hey, what about this, what about that? That's how things that are good get done. and And the thing is, like, the people... Who are chasing those things? When you get it done, you're like locked in for life. Like you have that experience together for life, and, and then you
0: and you also have the evidence of the work.
1: When also it's like I, Fincher not like exerting ego or domination, right? Although he'd probably go, yes, I am, right? Um, no, but he's not. He's he's trying to make something great. If you go for the ride, and you, at the end, it's not you're not even just shaking hands. You're like. We survived Yeah, that. we 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 did it. Yeah, like we, you, you, we went you, to hell and back. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. We we we, <laughs> we didn't fuck around. Yeah we didn't we didn't come we didn't come here <laughs> you know to cruise control it. Yeah. We, we came here to like see if can we do anything interesting. And when people work hard or push hard or have opinions that are about the thing, nobody who's serious goes, what an asshole. Because it's not they're not it's it's when people are making it about them. Or it's, it, or it's all about friction having to do with peripheral things to the thing itself. Yeah. You know, nobody who that's goes... It's just noise.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, because that's... It. Well, from what you're saying and from the guys you work with and the training, you sort of got on the job with Milos Forman and, and, and Fincher and, and even Woody Allen to a certain degree, that, you know, it seems that what was set in, inside of you in terms of who you respect... And this is going back to actors too, is that, you know, we're here to do the best thing we can do. And and if if I'm in a situation where I don't feel that's happening, you know, I'm going to have to step up.
1: Yeah. Or or I'm
0: just trying to it, reconcile no, whatever this reputation yeah, you mentioned also, is about all, you being challenging.
1: Well, it's also it's also that um there's not a lot that gets done that really messes with your head. Yeah. In any number of ways, that isn't a tricky beast, right. you know. And when you're doing it, like finding those things, it's it's tricky. It's it's a, it, it means it's elusive, and you're you're out on a limb in a creative sense. And it's almost to me like it's very hard to imagine something that's really good that wouldn't be hard to do right. on some level. Sure, most of the pictures of Fight Club. I in fact, Fincher just sent me this he just sent me this thing, some magazine wants to do the 20-year mm-hmm. thing of it, and he said, hey, there's a bunch of pictures from the set. Right. Here, here they all are. We're going to send them. We'll get yeah. It. And I was looking at them, and I was just, I, first of all, we're all laughing. Yeah. We're, we're all just, we're all laughing <laughs> yeah. in all these pictures, or we're being absurd. Um, and I, I just, I was kind of looking at these pictures. I was filled with, it made me laugh. It made me, I was filled with a feeling of, like, Affection bordering on like longing. I was like, this is just this was just, yeah, this is great. We were like, well, because you you kind of go through a whole thing together. Yeah, we and and we were unencumbered and we were like a family, right? Yeah, it's great. Um, And I think I think I think there's this world, there's this filter world that tells stories about these things that sound good because they have conflict within them. It happened when we did American History X, but like I worked I worked hand in glove with Tony K. We were running and gunning and guerrilla. Yeah. gorilla right we shot that thing like true gorilla style yeah. and he sometimes we would like almost be in tears at the the struggle when we would get through stuff we were, we were like hugging each other and what was the struggle of that movie uh down the road it it it, it actually it had very little to do with me despite the balllay T- Tony is a very passionate artist. Yeah. Very passionate. And he, a great photographer too, yeah. which is not being reductive. He is a, he's, he shot that film, shot and operated. Yeah. Too. You know, and and he gets deep inside it. I think he struggled literally to let go of a thing that had a lot of density to it, a lot of intensity, a lot of density. Yeah. Nuance that we all felt, you want right. to get this right. Like this yeah. is saying some stuff and you want to make sure the balance of of the kind of visceral impact of these very negative antagonistic ideas yeah. anger rage that it resolves out into the tragedy yeah. that you need it to be for it to have a a redemptive message or a healing yeah. or any kind of thing right. right and those are balances and I and I I understood his anxiety it was an important piece of work to him and yeah. he wanted the process to go on and on and on and there became these like logistical realities with the studio (laughs) that when it reached a certain point they mostly just put a cap on like this is as far as it can go and then what I would call the performance artist of Tony came out who has done really funny things over the the years these kind of performance art provocative pieces and he kind of started turning his relationship with the studio and I got kind of like you know, kind of pulled into it by default in a way. Yeah. Because me and my friend David, David had written it. We had rewritten it. It was yeah. kind of our story in yeah. a way. So I was involved in it fundamentally. Right. But ultimately what, he, he turned his like argument with the studio into kind of a performance art piece. And yeah. that made it seem, honestly, like something more negative right, than right. it was when, yeah, in, yeah. when in truth, they just didn't understand Tony. Tony Tony is a provocateur. Right. But if like, if I saw Tony today, I know for sure we'd run up to each other, and I haven't seen him in years and years. But yeah, he knows we made something like really amazing, terrific, yeah. and and I know I've heard from other people. I know he's proud of it, and I and yeah. I'm proud. The way we did it together was was balls out. It yeah. was like it was it was great. Yeah, it, it was it was absolutely great.
0: Now, do you feel like in retrospect, honestly, and this is a personal sort of thing for me in the sense? Do you feel like you you dodged a bullet? With you know not having to be the Hulk for your
1: life, <laughs> um, it's it's not like that. I I saw within this theme of kind of uh, the the manufacturing of of problems, yeah, problems where yeah. they aren't. I don't think I I don't think I dodged a bullet because that would sound like I have a negative view. Oh. Of, Are you relieved that you're not the Hulk today? Not not even relieved. I think we it's what I would call a win-win. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. I, I no, and I really mean it. Like really yeah. mean it. I first of all, let's go real wide. That character is. I grew up on that. I grew up on the the comic book and yeah. the Bill Bixby show. You know, I you're loved a comic it. book guy. Yeah, totally loved yeah. it, and um, subscribed yeah. to you know half the Marvel titles, yeah. all of it. Loved it. Loved yeah. it. Bill Bixby's a terrific actor, sure Eric Banner is a terrific actor, yeah, there's me, and Mark Ruffalo is like one of the best actors of my generation, you know, yeah. and it's like that should be telling, right, instead of like like god it's like good people this character has a something so like mythic in it, yeah, that people of substance have taken wax at it like yeah. Hamlet I mean yeah. it's like it, you know <laughs> right. I mean I mean yeah. it, yeah, I mean it, and the idea that um. Being part of that's fantastic. Yeah. It's like, it's, I love it. I love, I love that my kids one day will see it. It's like being part of the tradition of people who have done something good. I got into Louis Leterrier and I were really trying hard. Marvel hired me to write a version of this, to write, rewrite the script, which I did. And I actually wrote like a two film, they weren't into this whole thing yet of this merged. Right, or Marvel the universe, universe. Right, that, that wasn't happening at no, that right. time. No, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were and just when making I went movies. in, when they came to me and said, like, just, I said, listen, I, I'd do it if we could take this on, sort of the way Chris Nolan took on Batman. That we were yeah. talking about that at the time. I was like, long, dark, and serious. Yeah. You know, I kept saying long, dark, and serious. And I went in and kind of pitched a two-film thing of like uh, Hulk Rising and Hulk Rex. Like that was my idea. Was that it, one is the origin story, yeah. really understood as kind of. A person not able to manage a hallucinatory trip in yeah. a way. And the idea that in the next one, he's coming into his capacity to like be a conscious dreamer in a way, or be you know mm,
0: be able to control yeah, his and, weird yeah,
1: power. Yeah, and that that was literally like the flicker at the end of the movie. Right. And and we had we had things my deep love of the comic, we were incorporating characters, Samson and things that were were a really deep part of the yeah. tissue of that, right, that right. mythic story. And, and Louis and I were really turned on by the idea, not to sound like heady about it, but of actually kind of like I think Nolan did so successfully. With the Dark Knight? Go, go, yeah, with the Dark yeah. Going into that one's a different kind of a vigilante sure. thing. The Hulk is a pro... It's the myth of Proteus. It's like the guy who reaches for fire of the gods and gets burned. Right. And carries that burn and has a moral quandary. That's why we love the Bill Bixby show because he's, he's seeking... Escape he's seeking a redemption right. from the curse he's put on himself, right yeah and and that's what we were really turned on by, and I think you know, ultimately, though initially enthused about a certain i think there was in retrospect, there was an idea about a tonality of this thing that was going to maybe all emerge and come together it, it scared people or it 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 was one of those things, a, a difference of opinion, uh-huh in a tonal direction, in the total weight of seriousness yeah. and adult complexity yeah. that it should bear, we diverged, you know what I mean? Right. And um, with all humility, it wasn't, it ultimately, it was their call, and it became more of one thing than another, yeah. not, not ruined, but I right. think a lot of people really enjoy it, and there's yeah. many aspects of it in any way. It, it. I think people really dig it, Yeah. and I'm glad they do. It was. I was disappointed. Yeah, I was disappointed only because the aspiration I thought we had been taking aim at felt a little short change to me and without at all throwing it under the bus right. and I loved Louis Luteri I thought he he was a like a, a wonderful person and a really good artist and everything yeah. and the truth is to the degree I felt disappointed yeah. or a little bit angry it had to do, there was people who were long gone from Marvel who had kind of sold me I felt the bill of goods yeah that's what we want right that is what we want what you are saying yeah that's what we want and then it it wasn't which sometimes leave you going "Mm, you know I wish been a little straighter about like what the depth of tolerance was for what we wanted to go for right and let me say this there's the the guy who runs Mark Kevin Feige yeah I got on with him like a house on fire I thought he was a great guy yeah real comic fan right I thought there was people running the shop at that time who were not comic fans right who actually did not totally get like what the Hulk was about, but when you take the measure of the whole thing, look, you know, I, I had a blast. yeah, I, I did a different kind of movie than I've ever done. It's a part of this great tradition. Yeah. A thing was being engineered much larger than it itself. It put me in a weird position, because in a way, I was like, well if, if they offer me so much money that I, I can't, in, you know, yeah, resist, it but, might, but ultimately, the right thing happened. Which was not, had no negative emotion right. for me I in it. it. Which, was, it. Yeah. which was, which it was it's like, you know, it, you're going in a way, in a direction, and that's great. And, number one, I saw some stupid thing, oh, Mark and Ed, Edward, and think, Mark Ruffalo is like one of my dearest friends in the business. Is he? He's one of the, I mean, yeah. I, we came up at the same time. Yeah. I am... He's one of my absolute favorite actors in oh, the world. Oh, they tried to
0: pitch you against each other in no, the article. No, no, just
1: p- yeah, people it's right. it's like this thing and it's like it's like nothing could be better than being in the club with Mark. Yeah. It's the funniest thing. We laugh about it. Yeah. He has kids. It's it's the greatest. It's yeah. like it fit with what he was wanting to do at the time. Yeah. And um and by the way, I pursued things that were priority for me. Yeah. I got to make Birdman, I did Grand Budapest, and most importantly, I really focused on writing a thing that's been in my head, Motherless Brooklyn, yeah. and made it. Yeah, and it was hard to make. It was hard yeah. to get the resources together. It needed my focus. It's been two years that I've been since we started shooting it. It was five years before that trying to get the money together. Really? Yeah. And I and I uh, it was difficult, and it was very deeply felt. And I wanted total focus. Like if I could not have done the work as an actor. I, couldn't have, I, w- I wouldn't have been able to do Birdman sure. at the time, which is one of the great ex- creative experiences of my career. Yeah, it was great. And, and I wouldn't have made my own film that's been a passion project of mine for a long time if I'm in mean that. So I am thr- thrilled. And Mark's had a great, like, is great and has a great thing, and it's all been great. And by the way, this is the crazy thing, is like Kevin Feige, the guy who ran this thing, that guy has, as a comic fan, the execution... On that, like, vision, it's like, has to be one of the most successful things that's ever been pulled off in the movie business, in the trade. This, like, integrated thing, like, there's nothing like it ever. The Marvel Universe. Yeah. I mean, he like, in terms of following an idea and a plan that was very true to the world of the comics and the way they all came together they annihilated it i mean they killed it i get that do you think it's a culturally good thing that, as an a, artist it's 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 a that's a different discussion which again <laughs> people can really misinterpret a thing the fact that oh, i might i know might, i know yeah the fact that i might i think you you as a disney shareholder yeah. like you know you're like these guys are doing what they were charged with doing sure and it's and and look it has a lot of joy in it it has a lot of a lot of the humor and offset thing, but you know, I I have my concerns that have nothing to do with like Marvel per se. Mm-hmm. I I worry about like let's put like social media, you know, at the top mm-hmm. of the like danger zone to mm-hmm. me. I think Spike Jones's movie was really on to something. Her, her you know, yeah. It's like people are. Descending, I think, dangerously into this vortex of, of narcissistic self-narrative.
0: And fantasy. And
1: fantasy. And the fantasy component of it that I think is, if you want to say socially dangerous, is that it's sort of like high fructose corn syrup. Mm. It's in everything. It kind of makes everything taste good and addictive. But it, it ain't making you healthy. It's not helping you be a healthy physical human being, right? Right. And I think that things that turn people into passive receptors of narrative in which the dopamine gets sort of... Jacked. Jacked. Yeah. But not only is nothing required of them, no no challenge, no provocation to... No raising of questions. Sure. No raising of questions like, what am I supposed to think facing the problems of the world, what am I supposed to do? What is my morality? What mm. what what is these things? And you you look at our country and you worry, maybe just generally speaking, how what are we doing that's creating activated people who don't think that superheroes are gonna drop out of the sky and fix stuff, but where their view of what is heroic is actually formed by a sense of being proactive being themselves a person who as a human being with a lot of daily battles and fucking problems and everything is going to get up off their ass and do something about anything yeah a lot of what we're doing is not cultivating those people <laughs> right you know what i mean yeah and, and i think that um yeah. Let me put it this way. This matrix of social media is, to me, I don't even think we've begun to take the measure of of the damage being done by the turbocharging within it of all of the worst yeah. demons in our nature. Yeah,
0: and also just the onslaught of information, the pummeling every day.
1: I think if we, you know, we, we yeah. like you say, we're the first TV generation. Yeah. And you look at, like, I remember when Nirvana was hitting and people were going you know, why so dour? Why right, so yeah, things? Yeah. All the baby boomers were yeah. kinda going like yeah. what is all this like whatever, yeah. never mind. Like where's your where's your Yeah. And it, and you're just like, hey, just like just buzz right off, man. Like yeah. we, we we got a lot of inf- a lot more information, a lot younger than you had. Yeah. A lot more reason for skepticism. Yeah. To me, I don't even think you can measure the multiple of intensity that social media and the distortion that the intensity of that information flow which now is highly untrustworthy too and manipulated by yeah. by by outside actors to yeah. to mess with brains brains and to mess with um people's sense of civic connection to each other it's And even, the, and the truth yeah the truth yeah the we got we got literally f- Russia working to antagonize us against each other yeah and and we're and, falling for it. People and we're are falling, falling for, it. for it. Yeah, and and I think that and that that is that is scary. And and like you combine that with the things that that I would say deactivate people, you know, act as a yeah high fructose opiate, whatever you want to call it. It's um, I do think like, you know, what the Wachowskis like put this idea of people as copper tops. Like the plug doesn't have to yeah. be in the back of your head to be getting dangerously close to where you're being turned into a, um, an addict of the things that separate you from your money. Yeah, and, consumer sell. Yeah, and in many ways, uh, a pawn in these games of like they talk about the mass manipulation of crowds. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, there's things that um,
0: yeah, part of you, you, your nihilism has been mined to use you and your anger as, as a as sort of part of a, 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 an ideological momentum that you might even give a shit about? You might not give a shit about
1: it at all? I wouldn't even say, it, you, your anger. you know, it's your fear. Hmm. It's, it's what's, what's getting mined is your fear because all human, human beings have anxieties. The world is just an anxious place and our brain is literally formed by millions of years of evolution to have yeah. a very strong, there's a strong loop There's a powerful loop between the the imaginative power of our mind and its ability to concoct, uh, you know, anxiety. And fear, it activates our adrenal system. It perks us up. And the things that just tweak that in ways that amplify fear and amplify what I would call the negative reaction to fear or the self-defeating reaction to fear, which is essentially anger. Yeah. Um... Enmity, sense of conflict, yeah, um sense of the faceless other yeah. that is like part of what you should you know resent, be afraid of, whatever, sure, all of that's deactivating the harder thing, which is to say I, I am anxious, I'm afraid of a lot of things, and I got my own deep well of daily grind, s- struggle, whatever, yeah but what is it that gets you sort of to go i've got res- i've got reserves there's stuff i can do i can be a part of it and i can i can pay it forward positively you know what i mean this is like and engage with other people and engage in with real other life. people engage with other people <laughs> in real life yeah and try to cultivate a, a positivity and yeah and live in the world and be an actor in the world and everything the funny thing is is um this film that i made Motherless Brooklyn yeah it 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 actually took me. It's in the detective, you know. Yeah, I saw it. Oh, you you got to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great. It took me. It took me a while to get around in my own way to embracing that what we're talking about was a big part of it, because the character that I play is afflicted. He's afflicted, and in his affliction, he's kind of gone down into this hole of of isolation and marginalization. He's not really a moral person, which like most noir, you know, detective characters aren't. They're, they're like the person who the takes guy. you through the shadow world. Yeah, like they yeah. take you into the right, shadow world right. that's under this rosy American yeah. narrative, right? Yeah. And that's what's great about the best of noir. It is like, hey, sunny California, the place where you go to change your life, make the American dream. Guess what? Built on the theft of water and incest. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Like, or whatever. It's yeah. like the crime. That's Chinatown. Yeah, the crime yeah. under the- sure. The, the, here's the American story we're telling, and here's what's really going on, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's always as it's always had a healthy. I don't think it is just cheap genre. I th- I, I think it's no, it's, no. it's yeah, got a it, real it reveals the, yeah, uh, the got dark id of America. But usually those characters aren't aren't necessarily moralists. You no, know what I mean? no. They're and a yeah. lot of times like, they're antiheroes. Yeah, they and a lot of times all they are is that very American thing of going, hey, you're trying to put one over on me, and I don't like it. Yeah, no. You know some I mean? of them
0: end up dying. I mean, you know, yeah. Fred McMurray ends up dying.
1: Yeah, or yeah. like Nicholson ends up like repeating what he did in the past, where he tried to help someone and ensured they got hurt in the worst way. Uh, and he's, you know, he's just muttering to himself as yeah. little as possible, yeah. as little as possible. Like it's like the ultimate bleak, yeah. nihilistic. Like, and I kind of like had this moment where I thought maybe this turetic detective who's been abused by so many people and. Isolated Because and, they didn't
0: know what it was then either to have un, And unseen. Yeah. Unseen. Yeah.
1: Has basically said to himself, you know what? I really don't, I really don't give a shit about the forces of history. Leave this girl, you know, leave her alone and, and that's enough for me.
0: Yeah, I, that was an interesting turn.
1: But I, but as it got, but as I got going further. Is that from the book? No, no. The book takes place in the 90s. Oh. It's a very free will, it's a very liberated adaption of the book. Interesting. Um, but I, 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 I started feeling a lot of what we're talking about. I was like, I, I, I felt actually that the character that Gugu and raw plays, who is a moral and ethical person, who's a black woman, who's in the fifties, who's really a lawyer and is seen as a, a secretary. Yeah, she's fighting. You know, she's fighting, and when yeah. she hears about his problems, she kind of says she's sympathetic, but she goes, "We all got our yeah our daily battles." You know, right. and he and she, it registers on him that she's. She's on the line she's on the barricades, yeah, in a way, doing and, a real thing yeah and and in the end, I think I realized that it I wanted to break away from that kind of darker thing and and because in and in the end, you know, have him be affected to the degree that he realizes like it's all pretty monolithic and faceless and big, but I'm gonna take a swing i'm gonna I'm gonna stick a knife in it in some way that I can. I'm not gonna be passive, I am gonna get off my ass and pick a side. I felt for a long time, the character was great in this novel, Motherless Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It's an it's a instantly kind of memorable character and I felt kind of greedy about it in a way. I was like, that's that's a, a five course meal sure. for an the, the, actor, the, you know. The, the he's sort like, of
0: like underdog Tourette's yeah, he's, gumshoe he's guy. Funny. he's funny. Yeah. He, it's and you can be funny in a very in interesting way. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: real, but it's also just off the wall. Yeah. It, it's it's a lot of things and yeah. all these paradoxes. I loved it. But I've always been interested in what went on in New York in the 50s. I felt that... That was all your
0: construction. Yeah. It's, it's, because it's interesting that the Alec Baldwin character is, you know, it, it obviously resonates now. He is sort of a Trumpian character in a way. Uh, but not yeah, not I, as. Not, I, I think he's smarter. Is, yeah, Trump yeah. is a moron. And, yeah, yeah. and, and no, he's an amalgam
1: that. of people who are ge- actually geniuses. Right, right. But the, the power element. Yes, yes. Uh, and the and
0: ego around power.
1: He, yeah, yeah. Right in the middle of the post war period of like. Leave it to Beaver and great yeah. things happen in America on the I rise. love that,
0: that all these guys, that's your device, that all these guys were in the foxhole together in some way or some of them went to war. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, because like, you don't see that enough about that generation actually coming home.
1: Yeah, and, and, and the way that things did, you know, things changed a lot between the Depression before the war mm-hmm. and what America was after the war. Sure. This kind of is expressed in the film. But it's like we went from a country that was totally focused on on helping each other rise out of difficulty to a country that was uh where power was essentially became the currency of the realm you know yeah. and we became power became the value right and we built this military industrial complex and this global presence as the as a superpower yeah. and and for all of our talk we we became the bully in some ways that, sure that we that we you know it's like if you watch did you watch ken burns's vietnam yeah. oh yeah i, I mean Mind blown. absolutely shattering and i had the, no idea did you yeah i had studied my, my father was a veteran um he's a vietnam vet he's marine and i i had read you know studied and read and he was there that, yeah like, yeah he was in the in 67 and 68 oh. uh in the dmc but he um but the thing in that that's all the waste, all the pain, all the everything. But you go back into the beginning of that, and I thought Ken really illuminated in a way that is so important for people to take in that like Ho Chi Minh was reaching out to the United States specifically and saying, now that we have fought this war with you, fought the Japanese, you know, we are you. We are you in 1776. We want to be free people. We want to come out from under the yoke of European imperial, you know, col- colonialism. Yeah. We are you. You are our beacon. Help us become you. I mean, literally, yeah. they were saying that yeah. and writing that to us. They they wanted us, not like a general, they wanted us yeah. leaning in to help them become more like right, us. Right, right. And- and we him. we power-brokered yeah. away. Yeah. We said to the our pals, you know, who we bailed out of World War II, go yeah, go back in and build your French colonial plantations enslave these people again. And then when they get pissed off and feel like betrayed and they reach out to, you know, people we are anti, you know, China. A, yeah, China yeah. and the Soviet Union. Yeah. It's like and you think about like the magnitude of the miss on that you think about the magnitude of how horrible it is that we sent all these young people to lose their lives and killed three million Vietnamese and shattered shattered our country shattered lives basically to bully and try to put down people who came to us saying our impulse is to be you. We want to be like you. Yeah. It's it's so and that I just thought that film like everybody in America should see that film because there's like this notion that it's not like flag waving patriotism without looking at what is the delta, where do we you know, what's the delta between like Langston Hughes said, the America we're trying to be, the America we're still trying to be yeah. and and what we're doing. You can't call yourself a patriot if you don't say we are gonna revisit these narratives and account for our misses. Have and, you talked to your father about it? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I mean he he was he was thought it was one of the best things. He I, my dad didn't watch Vietnam stuff. He read and yeah, he's a historian and scholar. But but I think I think it might have been. I think only Ken Burns could have like gotten him to like sit down and and remarinate in all that in yeah. a way. But, it, you know, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's, a, I, it's no, I agree an with absolute absolutely yeah, I agree with you. I, when I saw it, it was, I couldn't stop watching it. Like it it's blew a ma- me away. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. It, it, it,
0: it's, how much he talked to, you know, the, the North Vietnamese, you know, and it was that, like, where would he find some of those guys? No, it It, it was a mind-blowing.
1: No, every American should see that film. Absolutely. Like, so how because, did this inform oh, there was on? Well, because in the 50s, yeah, you know, New York City, which at the time was the yeah, it's like becoming the the capital of the world. Essentially, was under all the narrative of what we think led New York to become the modern city. Is, is the truth of it is New York City and state were run by an authoritarian autocrat with absolutely uncontested imperial power, yeah. who was a racist yeah. and who and who literally baked his racism into the infrastructure of New York, modern New York. And the, the segregation of New York, the creation of what became actual slums, the projects, was a function of the racist will of like one person who never held elected office and completely overwhelmed all of the democratic institutions designed for progressive ideas to be able to move forward. And, and nobody knows this. Like, I mean, people know it. But very few people understand the degree to which, like, like, you know, it, if you look at New York in the fifties, the susceptibility of the American system to hacking by a, the impulse toward brutal authoritarian, racist yeah. control was it was like on sharp display in New York in that period. Um, even as this guy was trumpeted as one of the great public servants and a man of the people, you know what I mean, and and he was literally doing things like building great public beaches and then setting overpasses at a level that a public all that stuff was true and all movie. true, yeah.
0: So you really set out because I said that I right when I I saw it, I called my producer. I said it's like the Chinatown for New York City, like it, it's like it's. I it's-
1: mean that that's a that's flattering I, I think
0: but no the complexity of the plot like because it's you know you know I watched a whole movie I was completely engaged I was like engaged with your character I was engaged with the unfolding of the narrative I didn't know who the bad guy was I got a feeling after a certain yeah. point and you, you know it's one of those kind of movies where it's clearly a period piece it's a noir but right from the beginning you're like I gotta pay attention there you know there's things going on yeah and then this is gonna really come together in a lot of different strands and it really it helps it, it held me the whole time and then I realized that he, now that I know it's true I must be a moron to not no. know the deeper history of no, New but York by the, way,
1: by the way something you said is really important to me because I you know sometimes you read I, I really think that sometimes critics there's this tendency and I do think it's an affect of the residual effect of watching the kinds of passive experience yeah. movies that we're talking about yeah. there's an assumption that audiences are tired um Jaded, not interested in sophistication or complexity or narratives yeah. that they feel behind, right? Right. But the idea that an experience of a story that's convoluted and that you're sh- you're not sure where it's going and you're not even sure you're clear on exactly what is going on is an unpleasant experience. is is so ridiculous. It's like yeah. people. I think people get very checked out when they are ahead of a story. You know, when when you get ahead of a story- Well, it's just, it's what it turns your brain into mush. It's yeah, what you were talking about. Yeah, There's and, no, and I think that, but also, comprehension is not the goal yeah. of all great art. Like, Bob Dylan ain't looking sure. for you to comprehend no, right, what right. the hell, sure, you know, absolutely. Tangled Up in Blue means or whatever. Oh, it's yeah. like, and and to me, if you- come away from a film like Motherless Brooklyn having drifted through an aesthetic experience and a character that carries you yeah. through it in in the same way that like Forrest Gump takes you through right. the history of Everybody. America and <laughs> after the war, you know yeah. what I mean? Like if you come through it and you go, I felt empathy. It pulled on my empathy because this guy's an underdog and I want to al- support the underdog and I I have had an experience of being made to empathize. Mm. Uh, that it alone is positive. But if on the second level, you kind of come away with just an essential sense that like, did these things really happen? Is this the history of New York? Did this happen to us? Was the city built this way? Were well, these things well, yeah. done? Then, then that to me is a success because you have provoked the question. You've provoked, if, sure. if literally if anyone walks out of the movie and says, did they really do that? Did they put bridges too low for buses to keep blacks and Latinos off of Jones Beach? Like I showed an early cut to like Chris Rock and George Wolf, the great yeah. theater director, yeah, and, and Chris said to me, "Is that is that true?" And I was like, "Hey." He goes, "That melts my mind." Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I think that that's success. I think. Well, it, well, that,
0: well, what you created too, because of the period piece and the way you shot some of it, it does at times feel like a mythical landscape. Like you're looking at that old city at New York, and for what it was, and you found these beautiful shots, and it's shot so nicely, and the light is so nice. And you know, when you come up on that uh, on the authority building, you know, there is a sense of sort of like, is this is this real? It, because you do create the power of that guy, ba- Alec Baldwin's character. As as being representational of, of sort of
1: well, and, unbridled power. Yes, and the reality that power centers are not where we are told they are. Right. You know what I mean? And We're, sure. this, we're in this era where, you know, as we're assessing, like, the legacy of the Koch brothers as they right. go to their, you know, great reward, like, we're, we're real. you know, it's like, all you have to do is read the obituary of one of these guys and realize, like, like modern American conservative politics has essentially been engineered and dictated by these guys from the energy business who figured out a very complex machinery for distracting you with all kinds of like social arguments while they, you know, screwed you. you. And I think it's like that idea that power is not only not where you think it is in American life, but that people who have amassed that kind of power tend to be the ones who are also expressing that in this Me Too era, in ways that we have only really begun to fully account for and corrupt, you know, and, yeah. and, and hold to account, sure. right? And again, like, you want people going, shit, ha- you know, how much of this are we willing to tolerate? Like, what is great about Chinatown is that I challenge anyone, you know, things become a classic, I think if you wiped a person's hard drive and they watched that film, there's nobody who watched that film for the first time who has any idea what's really going on eight-tenths of the way through the movie. No, you have no idea what's going on. And if you asked 100 people who say it's one of the best films of the last 50 years, yeah. what happens, they couldn't narrate that.
0: Well, that was the whole joke of it is that you know he gets his nose cut. The snoop gets his yeah. nose cut. Yeah, you could. So but you know,
1: you, you couldn't, you're finding out when he does. The number of people, yeah. not one in 100 could say, they're dumping water during the drought to drive prices down on that thing so they can pick up things under the names of old people through this thing called the Albuquerque Club and make fortunes. Nobody remembers that. They remember that LA's corruption is that it stole its water and that fortunes were made and that the people who were doing that were also fucking their daughters. Like literally, that is the, (laughs) that's the kernel of what you take. And because, to your point, that is this monolithic romantic vision of L.A., it is the L.A. aesthetic It is the dream L.A. with the seamy stuff yeah, going on sure, underneath sure. it. And because Nicholson is his version of of the most compelling guy, yeah. you know, with this great American sense of like, you know, people's screenwriting classes, what's the motivation? Nicholson's got no motivation in Chinatown. He just, he goes... Someone put something over on him. They have pretended to be someone else and hired him and made him look like a fool. That's it. He's like, I don't like being played. That's the whole, <laughs> and eventually, <laughs> it's his thing to John Huston of like, how much is enough? How much do you really fucking need? How much better can you eat? And it's just to the point, If for its era, it's like saying, how much of this are, are we going to get subjected to? Before we just get pissed off to n- enough to do something about it, yeah. that's all that really that movie is about, right? When did it? I don't think it's coincidental that that movie hits at the end of the Vietnam War right. and as Watergate is kicking off, right? It's it's and the, it's, and, and,
0: we, and and the funny thing is, is that even with the reaction of the Vietnam War and even with you know whatever social progress we've made, we're we're sort of back there again, or we might not have ever left.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think, to me, the value of going to the to the 50s. It's like saying, hey, this is kind of intrinsic. This right. has been, you know, Trump and these guys want to talk about the deep state. It's like, but th- the truth is that the scariest thing yeah. in America is the way that power centers form and essentially own and And manipulate our politics, and and
0: and stay dug
1: in no matter what, despite
0: the fact that the world is ending. Yeah, even though they're they're like you know whether or not they're evil, they're relatively intelligent people that are willing to deny a certain amount of sophisticated intelligence in the name of power and capitalism. It's a hell of a gamble, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's it's nihilistic. It is the definition of a nihilistic. Burn it all, you know. It's like burn it all down. I'll be gone. I mean, it literally is. I will be gone. So this this is what I've been doing. Yeah, this is what we've been doing. This is w- what we're going to keep doing. And you know, there's a moment in the film where Alec Baldwin, who is, I, I gotta say, like I think it's one of Alec's like, it's I think he's as good as Alec's been in, uh, no thing, in a long time. No he, doubt. I mean, if you like Alec Baldwin and Glen yeah. Glenn Ross, yeah, it's great. Like the hefty Lee J. Cobb, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, Alec he is he's on fire in some parts of this film I was riveted I'm riveted when I watch him in it but he has that thing where he's giving that speech and he says you know he literally says like I look around this room and I don't see a lot of bright boys or goody goody progressives with their paralyzing ideals I I see you know the people of my tribe who get things done and that's the romance the notion that ideas and ideals are in the way of enterprise that that Right, might is right. Yeah, that knowledge. Right, that knowledge yeah. is something to be poo-pooed at, yeah. and that the, just the enterprise of getting things done is is its own value. And it's like it's this is you know sixty years after yep. the era of this film, we're hitting the, you know, end game. We're hitting the end game, <laughs> and it's weird. It's like you kind of like I always love. There's this one Walt Whitman poem where he talks about how everything is the same that he's 200 years thinking forward to us and that yeah. fratricidal war he says these things these incredible riff on like disease and the horrors of fratricidal war and all these things they they're weighing down on me too and they're weighing down on you reading in the this future. Yeah. in the
0: future interesting yeah
1: but i really do think the difference of the age we're living in is yeah. what you said we are in the end game because all our geopolitical and social arguments are going to end up looking like people who were squabbling at a dinner table while their house literally burned down on top of their heads because there's no, like, you can say, like, we fought the Civil War and we're still fighting it. We fought World War One and we didn't really resolve it. We fought World War II and these things are still playing out. Yeah. These communism and democracy and all the, the dialectic of these things, they're working themselves out. But the environmental collapse does not have in human time frames, a resolution it doesn't have a snapback and a recovery that we can survive
0: and that's and that's the byproduct of of pure industry pure all that yeah but that that other stuff is like you know almost a distraction it's and, a total and,
1: distraction yeah. that that's why it's so violently amoral right now. Yeah. I think it's like I used to think about like my my granddad's generation, you know he was in the Navy in World War II and this perceived threat of kind of a totalitarian, racist ideology mm-hmm. rises up this this idea of not just nazism but but basically totalitarianism mm-hmm. rises up and people say this is like an authentic threat to the idea of a humanist like world and we're like people all over the world rise up and like give their lives to fight it you know what i mean i think that there's a moral equivalence to the people now essentially Doing the violence to the uh, idea of, you know, a sustainable future on yeah. the planet. The peop, the people, the gamers, you know, the, the luddites, the, the the capitalists with short-term balance sheet pressures, fanatic, I mean, you know, just so, fanatics yeah. saying, we care so much about who's on the Supreme Court and the upending of Roe v. Wade that we will align with these false. Prophets, these false Christians will throw everything that actually defines the value system to focus on these things and we will permit and celebrate the moral lie that what humans are doing is not Creating an, unliv- but, an unlivable world, right?
0: But I talk about this on stage right now. The the problem, you know, and you're right. But but the other, the deeper thing around that in Christianity is that in order for Jesus to come back, the world has to end. So on some level,
1: they're gunning for it. There are probably, there are probably people with uh, what I would politely say is such a misguided intensity on the end of times narrative that they are willing to abandon the actual tenets. Of Jesus. of, Jesus, yeah, who who never spoke to like end of times, yeah. but who, other than to say that a rich man will have a harder time entering heaven than passing the eye of a needle, they've abandoned all the core tenets of care for the least of yeah, you, sure, yeah. all, all of it. They're just like bring in favor it. of yeah. of of nihilism, yeah, a, a nihilistic Old Testament yeah. vision of like these things, but. Worst to me is I we we are at this point I think where corporate interest the violence that corporate interest is doing yep. to the planet that we live on is approaching. I actually personally feel the a moral equivalent to the violence that was affected by totalitarianism on, on the planet and on people. Mm-hmm. We are we are moving into where it's not even a false equivalence to say. The number of people affected at threat of their lives to the climate crisis that we're engineering is equivalent to the millions of people dislocated and killed by totalitarianism in World War II. Millions of people, like, are going to be displaced, dislocated, forced out of homes. We're fires. These. It's. It's like, and um. And the people who are, the people who are perpetuating that, the 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 system that's turbocharging this, I I have a hard time not like, um, people talk about not demonizing one side or the other. I think people who are under the sway, people who are being hoodwinked and bamboozled, a hundred percent. You got to talk to each other. You you got to talk to people. Try. Wh- whose fear led them to vote. For a charlatan, and also to not believe science, yeah, and also yeah.
0: to believe that there's no journalistic uh, uh, integrity or facts to be had. Yeah, no, and
1: there's there's all kind, of, but you've got to. I mean, I sometimes think that like it's almost like you need Malcolm X's message for um well, I, marginalized I, whites. You need to say you you are being hoodwinked, you are being bamboozled. A real you, leader would be nice. Yeah, you are, but but who says? Yeah. You are being played. You are being played. You are you are hardworking, patriotic American citizens, and you are being played and ground into the machinery of corporate interest over your interest and tending the world. You are being hoodwinked. Yeah, you are being hoodwinked. And even if you don't believe in climate change, literally, your health care is going to be taken away. Your your taxes are not going to go down you are going to pay for billionaires and oil companies to get richer and richer and... At the expense of at, the planet. And, and at the expense of you and your children. Yeah. And it's just like, and it's like those people you have to talk to, but the, you know, and you can say like, um, there were German military officers who right. were Nazis, right? But the people who are perpetrating these things are, they are the totalitarian. Futs-overs. They are the fascists yeah. of our era. Yeah. And like, I think the idea that we're gonna be passive about that is terrifying. Yes, I agree. But that, and that's, but, uh, but, and, and, and I hope my film is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's I what mean, I was going to say. I, but the movie's good. No, <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, I mean, but, but by the way, like, it is about power, but it's what?
0: also about, uh, it,
1: it is the, about these uh, things. But I think it's funny because, you, you know, Eric Roth wrote Forrest Gump. If you, I don't know if you've ever, yeah, I don't know. He's like one of the greatest writers of, yeah, in modern Hollywood. Right. And he wrote Forrest Gump, and I love him. And I always, it's funny because Forrest Gump gets this like I don't know, gets a like a, a rep yeah. you know, a, a, you you relegate it in your head to maybe something a little Cheesy. When you go back and watch it, yeah. It's a pretty toothy, politically yeah. ironic. It's like he's this lovable guy with his you know, limitations. He's yeah. floating through when you watch him navigate and it is fun. Yeah. It's fun and it's funny. But it but it's also like about America eating itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And lying to itself. Yeah. And how he is able to sustain a, a pure sense of care for someone else right. through it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's it's a much more it's a much more grown up movie than I think. A
0: little darker than we yeah remember. It. Than you remember. I've watched it, but I I mean I liked your movie a lot, and I uh, and I'm I'm glad we talked about this. I think we should end on an up note because we can we can. <laughs> drive it right into the ditch right now.
1: It's no, that's true. So if you love Forrest Gump, <laughs> you, you'll, you'll love uh, Motherless Brooklyn. Thanks for talking to me, man. <laughs> yeah, pleasure. Okay,
0: Edward Norton, his new movie Motherless Brooklyn comes out uh, this Friday, November 1st. That was a good conversation. Um, oh my God, my phone is transcribing, okay, what I was saying in a text to somebody. Not necessary. I'm fat now. Here's some guitar. <laughs>